This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Christopher and Eric is a production of the TDPS Network, which mm. you can support by visiting thedinnerpartyshow.com or www.tdps.tv. And by clicking on the gold Amazon box at the bottom right-hand corner of the home page, you'll ensure a portion of your subsequent Amazon purchases supports podcasts like this one. The same is true if you use any of the buy links on our website as well. And thedinnerpartyshow.com and tdps.tv is also where you can find all the episodes of our other podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is full of celebrity interviews and sketch comedy that's gotten us banned in 20 states. That's not true. A man can dream. All right. Well, let's dream of everyone supporting our website. That way we can avoid putting an ad in this spot for a crowdsourced skin surgery app. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And guess what's back, Eric Shaw Quinn? Guess what's back again this week? Uh, I don't know. Why are you, this is a scheduled episode of our show. Why are you suddenly acting like it's... I was like, well, is that what we're talking about? The show's back again this week? No, I said, guess what's back? Guess what special feature of TDPS Uh, Presents Christopher and Eric is returning? It's True Crime TV Club. Absolutely. I'm sorry, I was like... What's back? Yeah, well, um, that's back. It's the flu. Right? You're yeah, getting it that's again. That's what I thought. It's that stomach virus. <laughs> yeah. That, but you did lose five pounds, so cheer up. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You're going to lose five more. No, it is True Crime TV Club. For the first time ever, this is our 18th episode, and we have been alternating week to week. We do a sort of generalized whatever the fuck we want to talk about episode, and then we do True Crime Though TV Club. But we actually Club. do think about it before we go we on do. here. A lot. And it's always really, I'm always interested what we actually end up talking about compared with what we say we're going to talk about I when we the, do those. I think the last episode we kind of held to what we were going to talk about. Mm, I guess so. Yeah, I don't, you know, we were going to talk about uh, what it means to have but, gay criminals dominate the headlines and you are a great person. Uh, American Crime Story. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, yeah, and that was not the plan. We had not discussed, talked about yeah. discussing that at all. And I don't care if we talked about it; I don't mind. But it always is sort of like I think about it afterwards. Is like, well, that's sort of what we said we would talk about. But with True Crime TV Club, we always know what show. we're we going to talk about. We can talk about whatever the fuck we want. But with True Crime TV what Club, we really want to talk about is True Crime TV. I shows. mean to tell you, this is the first time we have done an episode of Forty Eight Hours. And if you're not, we have a lot of listeners from outside of the United States. So if you're not familiar with these shows we're talking about, like I said on the last episode, the three big true crime network regular, usually on once a week shows here are Dateline, 2020, and 48 Hours. And we have done Dateline once at least, but it was one hell of a date. Wow, was it? Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) It was the truth about Pam. You can look back through our archive. We uh, we really pulled out all the stops for that one, and we even got some love from the Dateline Twitter account over our tweets about that. Um, This is the first time we're doing 48 Hours, so we will, I think, be talking about their approach to covering the cases that they cover. Try and stop me. It's different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, they all have their own styles. Yeah, and I think I can say safely without getting too far ahead of it, um, they are very much about getting involved with law enforcement and the investigation. This is maybe the fourth episode I have watched myself where they are prideful about the fact that we tipped off law enforcement. We sent them this piece of evidence that we found. We showed them this interview. Opposite of Dateline. Dateline is about coming in after 
a lot of the case has played out. Or um, maybe is completely done. Or completely done. Usually brings it to closure, which I know you're a fan of, Eric Shockwin. That's really why I watch. Like closure, 48 Hours does not offer you that. Well, Dateline, in fact, part of the reason that the the Pam, the what's it going on with Pam or whatever it was called. The what's thing, up with Pam? We say a different thing every time. Yeah, whatever that show <laughs> Pam's was. Pam's nuts. Yeah, that. Hey, yeah. Pam. Whoa, 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 Pam. Whoa, 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 whoa. The um, thing about Pam. The thing about Pam was that they actually became part of that story, and that is very- Very rare. Very unusual for them, and maybe the first time ever with them, but that was part of what made that story so meta and so interesting. But yeah, I felt like um, 48 Hours was much more- um, Reportage. It was newsier yes. than the other ones. It, it was much more like a news reporter covering a story um, and, and hence interacting with law enforcement or whatever, whereas the others are like Dateline is like, hey, did you hear what happened in Scott Avers? Let's yeah. gossip about it let's for an gossip. hour. Right. Now, that's what I love about Dateline. And let's hide that's the reveal. Let's hide. You won't yeah. even know it's a murder until the 15 I'm going to tell or... you this story over yeah. coffee, and I'm going to not. I'm going to surprise you at the end with how it turns out. But yeah, whereas this was much more like, it, this was well, this is from the people who brought you 60 Minutes. This yes. is that. It is that sort of much more akin to that news magazine format than, in fact, as I recall, when 48 Hours first started, it really wasn't about true crime. Neither was Dateline. At all. Neither was Dateline. No? no. I was interviewed by Dateline years ago. They came to New Orleans to do a what piece. What did you do? I Nothing. It was, uh, you know, I had nothing to do with Andrew Cunanan. We covered that in our last episode. Extensively. Um, we, they did a piece on my mom. They did a celebrity interview Despite on my mom. Despite what the FBI thought. Absolutely. They they <laughs> Despite what you told the FBI. Totally. They they You're really gonna her. have to see listen to episode seventeen. Episode seventeen. Yeah. Listen to episode seventeen to find all out all what the fuck we're talking about. They interviewed your mom? They interviewed my mom. But it was a promotional interview. Uh-huh. And there was a there was but a twenty twenty is very much news That's magazine. right. It was the same thing. And there was a journalist who was popular with Dateline who was a wheelchair user. He was, uh, I don't know what his condition was that put him in one, but he was well-known, and he um, was in a wheelchair, and he interviewed me out by the pool and gave, you know, really long, extensive interview and used maybe two seconds, and the two seconds was me saying, they're like, are they traditional parents? And I said, they have unusual ways of punishing me. What could that be? (laughs) Ha, 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 cut. So, yeah, no interesting interview, just the implication that my parents chained me. It was him. I was doing him. (laughs) That was him? Yeah, that was him. Like, I implied my parents chained me in the basement and denied me food, which is what I I meant was that they were progressive, understanding parents. But whatever. This isn't about me, Eric Sharkwin. This is about Dateline. It's actually about 48 hours. They moderated your black card limit. Yeah, you know what, bitch? Bitch, I'll talk to you about no shit with no black card on our podcast, all right? You think you all that. You're up here dancing like you're everything. Um, so, 48 Hours, the reason we picked this episode was from, or the reason I suggested it, it was one of my picks, but you seemed enthusiastic about it, which was rare, because it takes so much to get your enthusiasm level up. I'm telling you, it is not an easy, it is not easy hill to cry, climb. Crime. <laughs> Crime. True crime TV True crime club. TV club. A teenage girl basically is told by law enforcement that somebody has taken out a hit on her on the dark web. That is the center of this episode. We are introduced to Alexis Stern is her name. I'm not sure of her exact age when we're doing this piece, but we she track was back. 15 when it started. She's right? 15 when the entire ordeal begins, but she's older. 
Yeah. She's driving her car uh, through Big Lake, Minnesota, where she lives. Well, she was 15 when she met that guy, yeah. so maybe that wasn't she's when older. it began. I think she's older. I think she's a college student now. She's driving her car. A white van is pursuing her. She tries to lose it. She can't, and she completely freaks out. And the reason they soon reveal that she freaks out is because recently law enforcement, local law enforcement, told her... Called her on yeah. the phone and said it was urgent that she come in immediately. Dire, they said. It was dire. dire. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Hi, this is the sheriff's department. It's dire that you come in right this minute. So she does. And they say... Someone has taken out a hit on your life on a website on the dark web. They have offered $5,000 worth of Bitcoin to a website that is claiming to set them up or facilitate a connection to an assassin that will kill you for this amount of money. Okay. I'm going to do the timeout, T. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Because there was the, I had a big question that I kept hoping that 48 Hours would answer, and they didn't. And yes. so I'm going to pose it here. Maybe you'll know the answer, or maybe one of our listeners will know the answer, or maybe it's just one of those, where the fuck is the dark web? Like, do you type just two W's? W-W dot? <laughs> or is it D-W? Um, you know what I mean? Like, I people say it, and I'm always like, well, so how do you get there? Like, I know how to go online and type in something, but okay, so does the dark web mean Google doesn't search their pages? Yes, like, yes what that's does, what it means. Is that the dark all it web? Means? My understanding of the dark web, and it's limited and I might be wrong, is that it is all those sections of the internet that are not indexed because they do not identify themselves in a code that allows them to be indexed. So everywhere you go on the dark web, you have to know the address yourself and you have to type it in manually. That's my understanding of the dark web. So it allows for this vast space where people are communicating with each other without people being able to look in in quite the way that you would on but an they indexable talk about website. it like you're going to a questionable part of town. I always listen to it and I think, where the hell is this? But Why? that also gets to the other thing, which and is And they that don't tell you. They these, didn't really cover it on the show. It, it's a big topic and I want to research it more obvi- for obvious reasons as a crime writer, and you should probably too, because we need to know what the fuck it is and how it works. But the other side of this is that local law enforcement in Big Lakes, Minnesota, knows about this hit because the person who took it out on the dark website posted it to the dark website. This was not an email that was intersected between two parties. It was posted where it was visible to anyone who could access this dark website. they don't have dark email? I, I don't know. I don't know like, what the dark web is. I don't, yeah. I've been hearing about it for years and it's always just sort of like this, hmm, that sounds like something they made up on yeah, CSI know, right? yeah, um, West Hollywood. But, yeah. um, but you know what I mean? Like, and then, can you imagine that show, CSI was? It's probably CSI a porn video. There probably is, yeah, absolutely. It's probably a porn version. It's but, really, yeah, somebody w- yeah. wiped their dick on the curtains. Um, listen, so, yes, that's a very good question. There were a lot of logistical questions about the dark web that, and I always beat this drum, and I'm getting sick of hearing myself hear it, say it, excuse me, but it's an hour long they had to cram what was a very, it sounded like complicated investigation using the dark web and dark web tools into an hour. And they didn't necessarily explain in detail how they got from A to B to C to D to Z, because they do go all over the world in the course of this investigation I'm we're about to talk you. about. But they know from this public post on the dark web that the person who has taken out a hit on Alexis's life knows her address, has posted a photograph of her to this website. I'm telling you. Yeah. 
And I think 48 Hours Around then reveals that they have been investigating this website for some time. They have done other coverage on other episodes of someone who tried to take out a hit against his wife on this website. And when the website did not act, he became so frustrated he went and just murdered his wife himself. Which you know, is always an option. I know, but he just, you know, didn't want it's to wait. It's messier, and it, it violates the social distancing thing. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> and it's, you know, morally abominable. Right, there's um, that. So they tell Alexis and this. why not just divorce them? You know what I mean? I always hear that. I always think that in, I the, don't understand. in the story is like, why not just get a divorce? I have no idea. Is it kids? How it, does maybe killing they... them seem like a better, easier plan? And why just... do you think you're going to get away with it? Like, what is it like that gets into people's heads that they think, I'm going to be the one who's not going to end up oh, on Oh, you know when I think that is the, the high-speed chases through Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. Like, What's your end game? Like, yeah. do you, is there a version of this where people get away? Right. There isn't. They always end exactly the same. So what's the, what do you get? Just pull I, over. I, I, well, I think that starts with an enormous amount of crystal methamphetamine. And I think, I don't know for sure. I'm not smoking crystal meth right now, but I think people on crystal don't often consider the end game. You think that's, I, you it's, think not, it's, it's a group yeah. of people who are not overly invested in not thinking overly it all invested. the way through? Results and and consequences don't occur to them in not the same really way they occur their planning to process. you and I at the Dinner Party Show studio. So yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go too far down that road. Okay, but here, uh, <laughs> listen, we got to get back to poor Alexis because what happens to Alexis is they tell her this and they don't do anything. They can't do anything. They're like, this hit has been taken out. You know, watch your back, Alexis. But Alexis is like this amazing detective. Yes. She goes through like the, the guy who caught the, the, the Unabomber and mm-hmm. starts finding from the things that the killer has or the... The solicitation of killing killer. Right. Yeah, it becomes an important distinction. But whoever the the contractee, the contractee, contract. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Has all of these recognizable um, linguistic tells in the way that he writes, and she really kind of already knew it was the asshole that she just dumped anyway. Correct. And what we learned then is that when Alexis was 15 years old, she was spending a lot of time on the internet and she very much wanted a boyfriend and she made cyber contact with a young man named Adrian Fry and he was English and that really worked for her. She liked English guys. no qualms about showing his picture and saying his name and showing his house. I mean to tell you. I mean, they must have been pretty well convinced it was that guy because wow yeah adrian definitely had a bad day the next day i i think maybe this isn't the first coverage of this case i think adrian might be used to it because as spoiler alert we're going to get to an attempt to contract adrian later and it doesn't go well contact excuse me uh you're right i shouldn't have eaten those m&ms before we started recording this podcast it feels like my tongue is three inches bigger than it usually is anyway You're just trying to get a Saturday night date. Yeah. (laughs) Not during these frightening coronavirus times. Alexis, as you said, she goes on, she looks at the language of the contract of the post on the website. And I think the website is literally called Murder for Hire. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really subtle. The guy who runs it is Yura, Y-U-R-A. Who looks like he might work, um, he might be um, Bunsen Honeydew's co-worker. Because he's wearing a stocking cap and a pair of sunglasses or over goggles. Over the stocking cap over with the... his nose sticking out through a hole in it. It's really yeah. one of the strangest. And then he speaks into one of those voice-altering things. Right, like he, Jigsaw. He sounds like, this is anonymous. Right. This Knock is... it off. More um, uh, 
Church of Scientology right. or we're coming for you. If only he was saying anything that had even the pretense of that sort of, I don't even know what to call that. Uh, it's just, He's just basically saying my website will basically allow you to get people killed. If you yeah. want somebody yeah, killed. Yeah, he's not nearly as noble as the people from Anonymous trying to actually do good in their own anonymous kind of way. So... Alexis goes online, as you said. She's studying the post, and she finds that the date of the post is the day after she let her now ex-boyfriend know she had a new boyfriend. Yeah. Suspicious. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. As you also said, she finds some linguistic similarities to his uh, text messages and emails. He says, thank you as one word. And he um, says, inbox me, um, Mm -hmm. which is, she thought was indicative of him being a British um, person or somebody who, you know, He uses a a phrase, weeks time and years time, which is a very common British phrase. He also leaves out the But he doesn't put the apostrophe apostrophe. in was the telling thing, because I think that's as common in this country. As it is in, I've never used well, it. Well, I do all the time, but I'm not really. You're the, I'm kind not of a good, British. You watch a lot I'm of not Midsummer a good Murders for that. So, yeah, yes, I didn't say a fortnight because <laughs> <laughs> you're not a medieval. Um, I, I can't finish that joke. I don't okay. know enough about the Middle Ages. It's okay, really not. We no, need to get back a medieval to joke. This is 48 hours. We got to cover this episode of 40 hours. There's yeah. a lot that happens. We go all the way around the world There's by the really end. Not of, that there's much not that. actually. It's, anyway, so. 48 hours goes into the fact, then, that they have covered other cases related to this website in the past, which is sort of a tease for other episodes that they've done. We talked about some of those before. Um, they have been trying to get this Euro guy for years, and it turns out that they he has been fucking with them. Oh, yeah. He offered to sit down with them in London and give them an they interview. They hired a disguise person and did all this, rented a studio and did all of these things so that he could come and be anonymously on their show. right. And he didn't show up. And he didn't show up. Um, Meanwhile, Alexis and her family get in a car and leave Big Lakes, Minnesota, because they're like, law enforcement is not doing anything for us. What are (laughs) we going to do? Somebody's taking out a contract on her life. Yeah. So, like, wow. I guess it's like... Postmates, like they just like you know they do, yeah. whoever's free to kill somebody goes to Minnesota and takes the contract for the Bitcoin or whatever. Right, and Yura is the facilitator. Or... Yeah, and co- but correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think they've been able to establish a single contract killing being executed as the result of this site. What they have been able to establish is that a lot of people expressed a desire. To have their loved ones Yeah, there was killed. some sense that it might be a scam. It is, and they're saying most sites like these on the dark web are a scam. But they raise an interesting question, which they don't really go into that deeply, which I thought was maybe something we could touch on, is like, is this entrapment or is it incitement? Like, 
are you, we talked earlier about the other case of the guy who takes out the hit, they don't do anything, he gets more and more frustrated, more and more angry, kills his wife himself. Is the site culpable? Did they incite him in some way? Did they, you know, enervate him to do I, this? I think that the site plays the role that usually is played by the undercover police officer in these um, true crime shows. Is right. they, you know, the th- I how many times like if you ever want to have a conversation with somebody about killing somebody, don't do it in a car in a parking lot. Because how many episodes of true crime TV shows have you seen oh the God. person say into the recording with the person in the parking lot in the car? Right. Yes, I want that bitch dead. I'll give you here's your five thousand dollars. Yeah. Shoot her in the head and take pictures and send me your panties or whatever it is that weird, horrible, sick, perverted thing that they're doing. Right. All that being true, this is when Lisa enters the picture. I liked Lisa. Okay, I liked Lisa too, but I had some issues with the way Lisa was framed by the narration. For instance, they say, they they try to be secretive about her identity. They say she was formerly a member of the intelligence community. And that can either mean Lisa is, she's on salary, she's a paid consultant for CBS News. So, my, and she I get might my formerly have been a receptionist at this right. You the, don't know the Toledo CIA office. You have no idea. But she's all about the dark web, and she does a lot of work investigating things on the dark web. And then they say that she has altered her appearance. So every time Lisa was on the screen, I was looking. She's she's shot with some shadows around her, but she's seen in a moving car. I'm like, how did she alter her appearance? I don't see an altered appearance well, here. Maybe she was a blonde instead of a dark hair and maybe okay. she doesn't wear glasses. That was my thought. Yeah. She darkened her hair. That b- black hair seemed unnaturally dark and the glasses weren't necessarily hers. So yeah, it wasn't an extensive thing and the teeth seemed really distinctive. So maybe she wore a strange, Caps, some, some sort kind of, of like, yeah, detachable. appliance, yeah. you know, one of those Meryl Streep. I, I'm not trying to out Lisa here, but I just thought I really couldn't see, because like I it thought did, she would she be in a mustache. She did not seem and, particularly, or backlit. And, yeah. And I thought her voice might have been altered as well. Oh, you think She so? sounded a little cartoon character-y. So she, did. she may have just been one of those women who sounds like a cartoon character. Or, or she was a cartoon and, you know, she's a cartoon media analyst. I don't know. I, I don't, that, I don't know wouldn't I that be great? Yeah, the reveal if one of your investigators. Was a cartoon and they try character. to shoot the person, but they're a cartoon, so they're fine. Um, so they anyway. use that dis- that ink dissolving stuff from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> to splash that on it. Nobody has a vat around when uh, that around when you. That's do it. really yeah. That that's tough to find. Um, so Lisa gets on the case and she gets on the digital trail of fi- trying to find any crumb. I think she calls them breadcrumbs that will connect them to the real Yura, the guy behind this internet dark web persona uh-huh. and she finds um she and i wasn't quite sure how she found her way to this but she looked at a hacked cache of digital data and i don't know if that meant she ca- uh, hacked it or some other law enforcement people hacked it and gave it to her to analyze but she finds what she believes is a screen name that is connected to this guy i thought it was a password you're correct. It was a password, and it later turns out to be the screen name of somebody in Moldova, which she then investigates for possible connections to the real Euro. And, and that turns, turns out, out to be just selling a Volkswagen. It turns out to be a dead end because the password is Frunza22, and Frunza is apparently a common last name in Moldova, which is a former Soviet republic in Eastern Europe, if you didn't know that. 
Not to be confused with Moldavia. Where there was that great shootout at the wedding. At, Di- at Dynasty season finale. My from the God, that was amazing. Mid-80s. And I got really excited because I thought for a second maybe Moldavia was real, but it's not. This is a completely separate. This um, is Moldova, an actual country. As an actual to country with actual people that we should care yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, so that becomes a dead end. But the other uh, connection she finds is to a standard email address in the United States connected to an older Russian woman in New York. And so they put that out there. And then for suspense, they cut to sort of a montage of okay. other. What cases. did you think of the re on this one? There weren't any real re on this one. Oh, they had a stand-in for the um, for the the police investigator. They had a stand. They had stand-ins for the they people. Did? Yeah. yeah, I miss them. That's how good they were. They I were totally very. They them. didn't do much. I will. I will tell you my biggest um, response to the production of this was. Wow, what a fucking opening title sequence. I'm telling you. Because I was actually <laughs> like, holy the, the shit. The thing that was really, I, that I would say about the thing in general is that I was actually frightened at the beginning. I was like, <laughs> God, should we be talking about this on the air? Is somebody going to take out a hit on me? And by the end, I was so bored that it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> well, it was like, I'm used to the Dateline opening sequence, which they changed recently, which is like, here's a city skyline that might be Phoenix, it might be Tucson, Boy, and a woman wailing. Not. And this comes at you with super. Super aggressive cello and ravens alighting off a dead tree branch right. and an alleyway. A and storm blowing onto like, the horizon over the city. Yeah, it was terrifying. It was I terrifying. Was, yeah, I was good and freaked out at the beginning. And then it just sort of devolved into this ongoing kind of... It was very 60 Minutes. The it, confrontation thing was... Anyway. Okay, so we, let's not get ahead of So we're at Funza but, 22. Right. Um, we're at Funza 22, and then we cut away from Funza 22 to go through all the other cases of murder for hire or internet contracts taken out that they've covered. That CBS has covered and caused people to be arrested for, which good for CBS. And like, wow. my, my favorite, although that's a hard phrase to or hard term to throw around with something like this, was the case of Tina Jones, who was having an affair with a married man, took out a hit on the internet for against his wife, was brought in by the police, and they say, you know, I just want to ask you, did you do anything, ask anybody to harm this woman? And she goes, no, no, not at all. And then about five minutes later, they're like, did you do anything? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I did. I totally did, actually. <laughs> it was just like, they didn't show the intervening like, five yeah. minutes, but it, it was like- They asked twice. She's so sitting she, in she the came. same position. She there's doesn't no... look particularly sweated. It doesn't yeah. look like there's been, but I think they must have presented her with some evidence that was like, yeah, so what about this $10,000- to uh, charge on your visa card for um, murder for hire is yeah. that yeah that seems to be part of the part of the obviousness of it, of it all there was her there was the terrible YouTuber the terrible YouTuber yes who should go to jail for those YouTubes that they show a clip of because they were really bad but there was the case of Brandon States which I was like why are we not watching this episode and it might actually right. be in earlier episodes this is a guy who was having an affair cheating on his wife with a woman. The woman claimed she did not know he was married until she told him she was pregnant. He said, I'm married. I want you to abort the baby. She refuses. He takes out a hit on this website against her and the baby, essentially. He's convicted. He's in, I believe, the Army, so he's going to spend his the time in Fort Leavenworth. Yeah. And so he requests, before he goes to jail, to meet and hold the baby. Wouldn't let him touch that baby? she agreed to let him do. In front of, in a courtroom filled with witnesses and police I officers. Mean, but I wouldn't have let him touch that baby. Oh, my God. I wouldn't have let him touch that baby. And then there was dreadful YouTube personality, Bo Brigham. That's actually how I put him in the show notes. He took out <laughs> a hit against his stepmother. 
Right. And um, like you do. But he only paid three dollars in Bitcoin. So I think the defense attorney was trying to say he was so wasted and he didn't really know what the site was. But he went to jail and then got out on time served. Yeah. Okay. But it was still, you know, like it's like don't solicit people for murder. Right. Like it's not a good thing. The point being, I think, of revealing all of this is that CBS has really been cramping Yura's style and they've really cut into his business. So he's going he's posted sent them new videos of him, himself and he tells them that he's going legit mm-hmm. and that oh. he's bought a restaurant. Yes, absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, and he's doing quite well. Lisa's investigation of his digital footprints, if you will, the breadcrumbs, uh, takes them to a computer contractor in India named Santosh Sharma. <laughs> and this poor guy, this like, was the most. This was the saddest part of the whole. They they find this guy. He's just he's this remote web guy who just does if the work that ever, comes his way. If you've ever bought a URL and you've accidentally not gotten the privacy option so that they can't tell who bought the URL, you will receive 10,000 or opened a a WordPress site, you will receive 10,000 solicitations from this guy and his compatriots, largely in India, but Mm -hmm. all over the world, who want to put together a website for you. So I'm sure that's who this guy was. Yeah. They presented him as though he was the marketing person, but he was really, you know, like a website for hire, which again gets speaks to the amateurness right. of murder, murder for hire. He set up a URL called murderforhire.com and designed the website for right. Yura. And so they find the guy, the authorities in India question him. Then he sits down for an interview with the Indian producer for CBS right. News. He says, I never met this guy. I never spoke to Don't him on the phone. Don't have his phone number, nothing. Yeah, and and then that's sort of the end of that. Yeah. Meanwhile, 48 Hours has decided, since the investigation with Lisa is going so slowly, that they're going to stake out Adrian Fry's home in Bath, England, and he is the ex-boyfriend that Alexis believes took out the hit. Um, that goes nowhere, as we already discussed. Uh-huh. <laughs> they knock on the door. The brother says, Adrian's not here, but you should try this far-flung town on the other side of you know, yeah, the Isle of Britain. Which is what I'm going to remember to do that when I'm trying to get rid of uh, 60 minutes you when should, they show up at the door. You should Eric's try not Truro. here right now, but I think he might possibly be in um, Sonata. Jackson Hole, uh, Wyoming. <laughs> anyway, um, so... And then Alexis Stern gets a letter from the U.S. Attorney's Office saying, well, yeah, we're not going to prosecute and we don't really feel like telling you why. Uh, that's her version of it. She gets this letter saying we don't – and it sounds like they don't feel like they have enough to prove this guy took out the hit. And it sounds like the U.S. Attorney's Office is taking the position that the show does not want us to take, which is that nobody ever actually gets killed as a result of this website. So it's it's almost like they're looking at it like people engaging in fantasy role play. And until an actual crime takes place and people don't just talk about it and post about it, um, you know, that, that they can't get involved. But I'm reading in between the lines on that. They, they were not clear. Yeah. Um, so then we get back to Lisa's investigation, which, as they teased earlier, has landed on an email address of an older Russian woman in New York. Well, they think is the mother-in-law. Absolutely. Of Yura. So they confront the guy they believe to be Yura on the street with a camera crew. He pokes the camera guy. He pun- I think he punches the camera guy, right? Something. He does a series of things which Lisa, in her post-analysis of the event, tries to depict as evidence of guilt. And I was with her, I would say, on a few of them, I think. He did start—he did really escalate when they, call, when they used his 
password. When they mention his password, what connects you to Frunza22? Why are we finding your password? He got hostile. And he says something. He says, someone has stolen my identity. Right. He doesn't say, I never heard of that before. Yes. Because all the time they're asking about Yura, he's like, I don't know what this name is. You're making this up. What are you talking about? You people are crazy. And from a character perspective, he makes a choice next, which I thought, for me as a writer, was the biggest evidence of his guilt, right? Because what Yura has basically been doing, the one consistent thing he's been doing is showing off. Mm-hmm. This He's on these anonymous he's videos. He's a, whatever. So the, he's hired a marketing guy. Right, he's hired a marketing guy. He's getting all these people to pay attention to him. He's claiming he's this criminal mastermind when really he's not. So the first thing he does when 48 Hours confronts him on the street is he whips out his phone and he starts streaming the whole thing to the world. He says, I'm going to show the world what's going on here, like the fucking world is on his yeah, Facebook I don't think page. he really got that it was CBS. You think? Given his reaction... To them in general and the response to them, mm-hmm. it didn't seem like it was, you know, like he sort of rolled up once he kind of realized and apologized for punching the camera right, guy yeah. and stuff. Once he realized it was uh, CBS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. But I have to say, CBS, this was the part at which I began to separate, really, from the show. How so? Well, I thought their decision to do the confrontation, the ambush thing on the street, moved us out of investigative... The, the sort of true crime TV thing and into news coverage. Mm-hmm. Like that was when it stopped being because they became part of the story and it became about them and it they became they became it became more about their investigation than it really was about the story that they were telling me. Mm-hmm. And I just like it wasn't not interesting, but it wasn't very interesting. It, mm-hmm. it stopped being the sort of thing that I want to uh, that I'm most fond of in, in true crime TV depictions. Like the premise was great, but really like if they had started with even if they had started with trying to um, get in touch with him. But they by, at this point, we're stalking this one guy, Yura, mm-hmm. that we think is Yura. Yeah. We're stalking the British guy in in um, in England and trying to see if we can get one of them on camera to answer. Right. But we have no real law enforcement has dropped out officially mm-hmm. out of the whole thing. You know, Alexa is fine. No crime has been committed other than solicitation to do murder, which I think is actually a crime. But there's nothing really proved about it. You know what I mean? It just kind of. It evaporated, and and the guy seemed nice, the reporter, Van Sant. Peter Van Sant, yes. He seemed really like a nice guy and a good reporter, but he didn't really do it for me. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I I wasn't really—he wasn't a great storyteller. He was a good reporter, 
but he was not a great storyteller. This became a news report about this phenomenon and stopped being a true crime TV show. Like yeah, it, just... it also rested pretty heavily on some previous reporting of theirs, too. Like I was saying, some of these cases, I wanted to go deeper into them or be watching that instead. Right, the, the Tennessee, the woman who was, the pregnant woman who let the guy hold her baby. Uh, that yeah, was, that was an incredible incredible yeah, was, piece of it, but it was just a piece. That was, that was yeah, sort of the, yeah was I, I agree with minutes. you. It just really, but this was the moment when I was just sort of like, okay. I don't ever like this. I don't ever like on-street confrontations like this. I think they're driven more by spectacle and well, a, it's a, a desire it's for vengeance last resort. as opposed like to actually apprehending someone. Like if won't have an interview with you, yeah. you know, like then it's a last resort thing. I was also, you have not seen Don't Fuck With Cats on Netflix. I have not. Okay. Are you ever going to see Don't Fuck With Cats on Netflix? I think there's a possibility okay, then I, that I one day I may watch it, but it hasn't happened yet. There's a similar, I won't spoil too much of it then, but there's a similar idea at work in it, which is, is the watching of the crime creating the crime? And I had that question about this, is the amount of attention that 48 Hours is paying to this guy, Yura expanding Yura's profile, is it really feeding into what Yura really wants, which is attention? Because unless there are huge holes in this, what's been presented to us, Yura hasn't actually facilitated an assassination. I think his website's abominable. I think anybody who goes there actually commissioning the death of someone should be punished. is a mar- crime. It's a crime. Yeah. It's a crime. Um, but Yura himself, as the focus of this investigation, as opposed to saying what drives people to go onto the dark web and take out these contract hits on people, should we be talking about that? Should we be talking about the fact that almost all of them there was some form of extramarital affair or cheating going on. Like, that would those have been are a the, more interesting, yeah. yeah. That would have been a more interesting kind, and it would have been a story. It would have been an right. actual story whether it, where this was an investigation of a phenomenon, which is a news story, right? which is not really the same thing at all. But I think we're getting at what 48 Hours is kind of about, because I've watched a few and I have that similar thing. Coming from the other shows where I'm used to seeing the entire narrative and being presented with a kind of both sides attitude towards the evidence that's usually brought yeah, at trial. True or not. True or not. Like I'm allowed to sort of make my own decision. That's what Dateline does a lot of the time, kind but of. they leave yeah. shit out. They yeah. leave shit out. They definitely support their own narrative, but that's okay <clears throat> because that's what happens when you tell a story. Yeah. But I don't want to, um, like the moment where they're in the car zeroing in on the place where they think Yura's going to be, and Lisa's like, my heart is racing. I'm so nervous. I'm, I'm going like, to scooch down and put this thing over my I head. Was like, I was like, this yeah, is yeah, so inauthentic and staged yeah. and whatever. But, yeah. you know, I yeah, it's um, it was like a note card for something bigger and more interesting. That's kind of how it felt. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like I didn't. Like, I didn't hate it. I'm not sorry. I watched it. And as I will say, production values were good. That opening really gave me chills. I thought we were in for a scary show. Like, it it didn't turn out to be that. But it was, and it wasn't uninteresting. It was, but it was far less uh, a true crime show and more of a a news report on a phenomenon or, I, I don't know, the whole notion of it. And I really did want them to, like, well, then just tell me what the dark web is. Even if that, even if it had included that, it would have been more interesting for me. Yeah, and I feel like maybe that's in our future here at True Crime TV Club. Like, we're just going to watch a documentary about the dark web. I think there's actually one of streamable on Hulu called The Dark Web. And and I've been meaning to watch it forever because you're right. I don't really understand what it is. I know I'm not going to go looking for it because I don't want to see half of the shit that this described as being on there. 
You know, there's a lot of child porn on the dark web. That's really like the epicenter of the. Child, but there are networks of human traffickers that operate on the dark web. It's just I, I don't like. It's not someplace where I'm just going to go poking around. And as Lisa says at the beginning of the story, you it's not for the faint of heart. You can't go investigating stuff. You know, it was reminding me of the film Eight Millimeter. Did you ever see that movie with Nicolas Cage? Yes. Where it was, he is basically tasked by um, a very wealthy woman who is she's discovered after her husband's death that there is this film reel that appears to be what is called a snuff film, and she wants to know if it's real. And in the course of the movie, well, I'll tell you this, it was written by the same guy who wrote Seven, so you can pretty much guess off that information what the answer to that question is going to be. Figure out how that goes. Um, Yeah, it's pretty dark. And the dark web sounds like a lot of that shit to me. But again, most of what I know about the dark web comes from the occasional true crime podcast right. or thriller writers. Absolutely. I mean, it could be... That's really all I know about it at all, other than you know, some vague references to Bitcoin and that guy in San Francisco who got shut down who was operating Silk Road, wasn't it called, mm. or something. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That I've heard some talk. But again, it always refers to the dark web as though it's this location, and I'm always sort of left with the... You know, it's like, well, so where is it? It's not that I want to go, but I, I would like to have some understanding of what the, the – I always think of it as being like, are you old enough to remember bulletin boards? Yes, I am. That's – I always think of it as being something like that where mm-hmm. it was very, as you say, very code specific. You had to know right where you were going and then you didn't get much. It was very much – text I think was as much as you got. I think that sounds about right. I don't know about the text thing. The The way it was described to me once by somebody who was almost like a savant, like very nerdy computer guy, is, is, and he held, I remember, I think he held his hands up. He says, what you see of the internet is this much. And he did a little, you know, little fingers, as you call them, like a little space between right. his thumb and index finger, because that's about how much of the internet is actually indexed. The rest, and he spread his hands out, is out there. You just don't know it's there. And I think that's the dark web. I think it's as you're describing. You've got to know your destination. And what I'm not really sure is whether or not links work. Like, I don't know if you can link to something on the dark web. Anyway, I don't want to do a whole podcast about how we just don't fucking know yeah. anything about the dark web. Christopher and Eric talk about stuff they don't know we anything really about. We really don't know. We still don't know anything about the dark web. You know what else web. I don't know anything the about? The dark web. Atomic energy. I have no idea how that shit works. <laughs> I don't know shit. The new podcast from Christopher and Physics, Eric. Physics. Not a clue. <laughs> not a clue. I, uh, no, Algebra. Yeah. yeah. Don't know what multiply both sides times x. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't. X know is shit. a letter. Yeah, but um, you know, I I we had to try it. We had to try a forty eight hours. And it was we didn't like I be. didn't think it was like a terrible choice. Like I, I'm glad Alexa's okay. I'm really glad nothing happened. I'm glad they didn't. I you know, they may have at least discouraged Yura whether they actually found him or not. And I hope the British guy you know learned his lesson and doesn't take out any more contracts if he's actually guilty. Here's my question though. But maybe he'll sue them because they posted a lot of stuff about him. Getting back to this idea of is Alexis okay, like, is the hit still posted on the website? I assume so. If there was a hit on my life with my address and my photograph still posted somewhere, and dark web, light web, aubergine web, I don't care. And nobody had the ability to take it down. The pink web. We're going to start that (laughs) one right here. 
and it was still out there and nobody took it down, I wouldn't feel okay. And nobody was prosecuting anybody of it. I would still be completely fucking freaked out. That would out. not be okay with me yeah. because somebody could get the impression that they could get paid. But I think that the deal is is that people who are going to do that want the money up front. Yeah. They're not going to do it if they don't get the, the money. And if the money isn't forthcoming, they're not going to do so it. So as long as Yura doesn't actually pay anybody to kill, he's allowed to exist in this kind of legal limbo. It's well, crazy. I think at least Alexa can get Alexis or whatever. Alexis, yes. Could, can rest a little easier if he's not paying. Yeah. I mean, and, and the her boyfriend, tone, they, they managed to get a text from the British boyfriend who said, I've never done this. And and what did it also include? It also included um, thank you typed as one word. Which was in the Which was contract. one of the, yeah, the, the linguistic things that Alexa identified when she first pointed out that it was obviously from him. But she obviously knew. So I think the takeaway was if you're 15 years old and you really want a boyfriend, don't go – Meet up with some guy from England on in on the line. Try actually talking to some of the boys from your class, IRL. Right, and, and that's the other piece of this: people talking to each other online, like masks dropping. It's that thing of like um, compulsion. Not, I'm not. It's, it's, it's disinhibited. It's like. What does it mean that, like, that's what the one guy when they reviewed the other cases and the guy who took out the hit on his stepmother, I'm like, were you just wasted? Because you only paid $3 in Bitcoin. So you maybe weren't taking this seriously. Were you just so fucked up one night and you were just typing things into a computer and somebody had told you about this site? And it's like, and do you regret this? Like, I, I just, there's something that frightens me about, you always talk about the five seconds between your hand and the car horn, right? right. It's like, you can blow the car horn, but you've got those five seconds to ask yourself, am I blowing this horn because I'm in danger or am I blowing it because I'm just fucking pissed off? Because I'm late and having Absolutely. a bad morning. And there's a lot on the internet where those five seconds seem to shrink and shrink and shrink. Yeah. It's like after hours shopping. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, stop fucking cheating on your partner. I mean, that was the two commonalities between two of the worst other cases they talked about. Or just get... A divorce. Yeah. Stop killing your partner because you don't want to be with them anymore. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm in support you of know, that. I mean, do the, worst case scenario, go for a pack of cigarettes and never come back. Like yeah. whatever it is you need to do, but killing them is not a good solution. Yeah, it really is. But apparently, it's it, that is like. They say that most people are killed well, by somebody who loves them or that, whatever That's it is. correct. Like, but I think if we actually looked at the actual numbers, the majority of people do actually either get divorced or just leave. I think we, I, we but they don't get covered on Dateline. Yeah, like, they don't wind up Tonight we'll be covering a divorce in Peoria that unfolded over six months and still has some custody issues yeah, involved. That's that HBO show with Sarah Jessica Parker that I couldn't <laughs> stand to watch. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, no, yeah, I don't understand... We t- we talk about we talked about the other thing that always gets to you, particularly when you see it in a story, which is the female character. It actually came up recently in a true crime podcast called Detective Trap, which I was a big fan of, which was about a serial murder case down in Orange County and the kind of amazing female detective who championed the victims and tried to collect their remains out of a landfill. Um, she her life was changed by the realization that she wasn't going to be able to have children. And we've talked about how, particularly with fictional characters, that can just absolutely shatter a woman, or, or it is depicted as shattering her. 
and we sometimes struggle to understand it baffles that. me it is it is a baffling phenomenon to me i i i clearly it it is a real thing it really does in fact yeah. impact people but it sort of it seems unfortunate yeah but you know like okay so that's going to be a reality of your life and so you could adopt or you could but people really get I don't is it cuz we're gay? I mean I don't want to diminish it and I'm not trying so. to but is it cuz our perspective is because child rearing was not presented as a given to us? I actually wrote a whole book right based uncle. on my realization that I wasn't probably ever going to have children. That's mm. actually what say uncle is in response to is that my 20 something right a realization that oh I guess this means no kids, huh? Like, because it really at the time, it, honestly, yeah. hadn't fully occurred to me until that uh, moment in time when that, and it's what inspired me to write that book. Well, if I did have a kid, what it would be like, and I went on from there. But so I, I, I you know, I understand that it is a, a notion, but it isn't like that. It would be that flattening to somebody is really yeah. that's hard for me to wrap my head around. The other one that gets me is. The guy who will follow his dick off a cliff. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like society. Like I watch stuff. I watch <laughs> movies like that. Like um, The Opposite of Sex is one of my favorite movies in the world. But it's hard for me to really buy into because there's a point at which you go, oh, so you slept with my cousin and now she's having your baby. Bye. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of it for me. Like, why do you keep pursuing it? Why do you continue to follow this mm-hmm. right off the cliff? Why do you, why that's hard for me to rationalize in my own head because I can't imagine doing it. Right. Like, oh, well, you did these horrible things. Yes, that really hurts. And I did actually really love you. And goodbye. I would probably do a lot more of it if you weren't my best friend. You think? Well, I think you, think you, you would have fallen off more cliffs. I, I, I think you need people in your life who call you on your bullshit, you know, and I, I think there is a tendency around relationships and romance in our society to believe that because everybody isn't. Well, most people are in pursuit of the one. You want to believe it's the one even when it's not. And your friends can be resident, uh, reticent, excuse me, to step in and tell you some truth when they if they believe that you're in love. You don't have any of that reticence, and it's a good thing because I think um, <laughs> no, but seriously, well, it is. I do like, if you are actually in the relationship. Yeah, I will keep my mouth shut unless I am asked specifically, and even then, only guardedly. If somebody is in a relationship, I am supportive. Yeah, of being unless they're being physically abused, in which case, well, I try to be available you're the one who said to me the strategy and i never forgot it is that if you you believe that they are being physically abused you can't judge them for it you don't judge them because you want them to be able to come to your house when they need somewhere to go yes i I had a friend who was being abused and that's a lesson i learned early in life i did not constantly say why are you still with him or whatever i didn't say that to her right i she was in love with him and it was her choice and he was physically abusing her and she could come to my house because she knew she wouldn't be judged there and eventually she you know found the place where she could break up with him but but it wasn't necessarily my responsibility to bring that on so to that extent i don't you know i do keep my powder dry but yeah if somebody's like you know, trying to, well, he said so-and-so and such-and-so. It's like, oh, my God, just move on. You know, yeah. like I am that I am that friend. Yeah, and I think that can be really useful. But I think also 
Um, as you said previously, I think on a previous episode of I've heard you say it a bunch. People like to say, "Why do I attract crazy people?" Oh, yeah. And it's not that they attract crazy <laughs> so people. You, so that you invite them in for drinks. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I night. found with my my life. Like yeah. I was like, "How do all these crazy people just keep?" No, no. Everybody runs into crazy people, but healthy people say they don't make a. Bed oh my God, you're crazy. For them. That's sort of that's the part. That's the dick off the cliff thing with me. Yeah. Like it's like, yeah, that he sounds toxic. Like enough. Yeah. But I definitely have had my own issues in and around the same. Uh, well, kind here's of here's topic. what I believe, and I think there are people who would attack us for this. I believe that you and I have found a way to be comfortable being alone, and being single. I mean, not alone, but single. And I think part of it is we don't see I'm single as being alone. I'm not alone. But I really think for some people, it is just inconceivable for them to perceive conceive of their entire life. Without a partner. And, okay, that's who they are, maybe. Or they just haven't really tried it the other way. Well, and my point is you don't know that until, like, it's my favorite thing to say is if you're never going to find somebody, you'll never know. You'll because be if dead. you're always open to the possibility that you'll meet somebody, then that's always a possibility until you die. And then you don't know after that. So seeing it as a foregone conclusion, I think, is one of the things that people do to themselves that... I, it seems unnecessarily hurtful. Like, why do that to yourself? You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen later this afternoon. But this gets back to the child-rearing question that maybe we don't, as men or gay men, don't have to deal with in the same way. We can have kids, but we don't have a, a womb that's getting set to expire by a certain date. And I think a lot of women, if they want to raise children with a partner, with a husband, they've got a specific window in which I that guess, needs to happen. I guess maybe we've given that signal to women that somehow that's their value. I, I think mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. Like, I think it's great and I think it's a miraculous thing. And I think, you know, it happens for a lot of people, you know, there are eight billion people in the world, so a lot, a lot of people, but yeah, but and it, that's but it, isn't, the, but it isn't a requirement. And I think that is it. I think the people who are shattered by it have gotten the message that it's their only value. Not that it is a value or a magical, beautiful thing that they might be able to do. It is that this is your only value, and if you can't do it, you have no value. And that's failed. what they're struggling and with. And I think that's, God, how horrible. Yeah. Like, we need to fix that. The women yeah. are amazing and capable of so My mom once asked me, um, we were driving down the road, we were going somewhere in the car, and, you know, one of those long silences, and she said, why do you think God made gay people? And I hadn't really thought about it in those terms for a while, so we went for a long while in silence. I thought about it, and eventually I I told her, I said, I think it's because there were a lot of other important things that needed doing. Mm-hmm. You know, raising kids is obviously the most important job in the world, but it's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Somebody needed to paint the Sistine Chapel. Somebody needed to make the David. Somebody needed to, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of, yeah. if, if there's a whole group of people who are not involved in doing what is arguably the most important work in the world, like yeah. perpetuating the species, I can't see anything more but important there, than that. Yeah. Then there's Then there's this whole other group that's not invested in that. But also I wouldn't shortchange along the lines of what you're thinking, what gay people were capable of doing before the nuclear family within the family. When the young people were raised by a passel of diverse relatives, and people talk about this a lot, what the nuclear family has done, the pressure it has put on parents to do all of the child-rearing themselves uh-huh. when you don't have aunts and uncles. In that construct, the gay uncle or the the gay aunt or whatever, 
they brought a different spice to the to the brew, you know, like maybe they were sort of almost like the healer person or the artist or whatever. And nowadays, and, you know, yeah. we're as likely to be the parents as anybody. Absolutely. Like gay people are now been invited into that particular yeah. score, but in a naturalistic and a purely sort of, you know, genetic nature kind of way. Correct. We don't actually reproduce by our own sexual um, means. Well, I think we gave people a little tease in the latter half of the podcast today of what we're going to be doing next week because we started talking about how um, you give very good advice, <laughs> or at least that's one way of putting it. Um, and it was very clear, loud advice, very loud and forceful, <laughs> unvarnished advice. And that's why we're going to be introducing a new special feature here on the podcast called Ask Eric. And we're going to introduce that for the first time oh. next week. But we'll Next work. week. So don't ask me anything yet. Don't ask him anything yet, but we'll tell you how you can ask him stuff on next week's episode. And we will also, in the context of that, asking and answering, we will be reviewing your answers, our beloved party people, to a Facebook oh. question we asked recently. I loved this. On the Dinner Party Show's yes. Facebook page. Um, if you and could, thank you very much for all of your wonderful replies. They were wonderful. We've got them collected already, and we're going to talk about them on next week's episode. And we're going to talk about how you can get the benefit of Eric's advice the way I do every 10 minutes. <laughs> Particularly when we are organizing things here at the Dinner Party Show studio. <laughs> Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.